We're really glad that you're here. Our challenge this morning is to dress for success. I mean, you've heard that before. And we believe that often the way you dress can determine whether you might be successful in a certain role. A man was telling me this morning about a man who went for an executive interview in an Armani suit. Everything looked so good, except his shoes were all scuffed up. He didn't get the job. Because we know when you go in a certain situation, you need to know what to wear. Many of you might remember a TLC network program called What Not to Wear. Anybody remember that? And uh, you would present somebody to them, maybe a friend of yours who didn't dress very well, not a very much taste, that friend you see walking out of the house, and you think, what were they thinking? And then you think, they weren't thinking, all right? And, and so you, you, you present them. Anybody got a friend like that? Okay. Well, if you don't have a friend like that, more than likely, you are that person that we're thinking about, all right? But they would present that person to the show. They would come up with some kind of excuse to follow them around for two weeks. And then they would take them to a reveal where they would uh, put them in front of a 360-degree mirror. And they would analyze and scrutinize what they were wearing, put them through two weeks in New York City of a complete makeover. And by the end of the show, they're looking fabulous. And many of us have to learn what not to wear. And let me just be upfront about our point this morning. Many of us are dressing as if we were going to a beach party when the truth is you're about to walk into a combat zone. And you need to know what to wear. Many times when you're going to an event, you'll sort of fill it out. Now, what is the appropriate dress, you know? As a preacher, nowadays you never know. And so I'm going to speak in another church. I'll call or I'll email and I'll say, okay, you know, what does the preacher normally wear on Sundays? And it can be everything from T-shirts and jeans to a preacher who still wears a coat and tie like they did in the Bible. And so you, um, <laughs> I mean, you, you have to figure those things out because you don't want to walk in, you know, and just turn everybody off by your dress. And my friends, so many of us, we're entering this combat zone and we're not dressed for success. And, and Paul's thinking about this in this wonderful book of Ephesians. He's coming toward the end. He wants them to be prepared for spiritual warfare. He's more than likely in a house with a Roman soldier dressed in this kind of attire. He said, I, I'm going to tell my people how to dress for success. Go to Ephesians 6 with me. Let, let's go verse by verse for a moment. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's like you've sung about today. Our power, our strength comes from the God. My, my friends, you face Satan one-on-one, -on -one, you'll always lose. You face Satan with God, you'll always win. Look at verse 11. Put on the full armor of God. Oh, I love this idea here. You put on the full armor. But the idea is that it's not your armor. It's God's armor. I was reading Psalm 32 this week where it had God dressed in his armor. As one friend said to me, what we're putting on is the armor of God, and when you put it on, it's still warm from God wearing it. It's that power, powerful. He says so, that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. My, my friends, Satan has a scheme in your life. 
He knows your propensities. He knows your weakness. He knows the buttons to push. He knows the people to get you around. He knows the circumstances to get you in. Now, fascinating about this word scheme here is it carries with it the idea of stalking someone. And here's what I want you to know this morning. Satan is stalking you. He knows the scheme that will work, and he's going to play it at just the moment where it can cause the most damage. So be aware of his schemes. And look at verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I remind you, this warfare is taking place in the invisible realm. It's not present for you to touch or to see unless you look through the eyes of faith. And so you are being manipulated, I'm being manipulated, influenced by these unseen beings. So what must we do? Listen, beginning in verse 13. Therefore, because of all this, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, that day's coming, where Satan's going to play his cards in your life. When the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, we're going to cover these over the next two weeks. But I want you to notice in this passage, there's a division. There are two categories of weapons. Category number one, he uses one verb, which is to put it on. It's something that needs to stay on. Category number two, it's something that you take up. It's these weapons that are available in that moment for you to employ in the battle. Today, we start with the three that you're to put on and that you're to wear 24-7. And the first one was the belt of truth. Now, this is not some kind of flimsy decorative belt like most of us are wearing today. This is a belt that held everything together. Don't picture it being thin. Picture it being more like a a UPS man who's coming to your house, who's got this belt around his core that's wide enough to stabilize him so he can pick up things otherwise he couldn't pick up. It, it, It held everything together, and it also held a lot of things. It was in this belt that you'd put your dagger or your sword or other weapons that you were going to use. And so it was the first piece of the armament, And in many ways, it was the most important because it held everything else together. Now, what is this belt? It is truth. Now, that's a hard concept for us. Just this week, Oxford Dictionary came out with their 2016 Word of the Year. It's a a new word that was used multiple thousands of times. And the Word of the Year was post-truth. It's that today we claim that we live in a post-truth world. There used to be all these standards of black and white and right and wrong, but they don't apply anymore in the modern world. In fact, here's what you're supposed to do. You discover your truth if it works for you. I'll discover my truth if it works for me. And our truths can be completely different, which sounds like an absolute contradiction. 
And, and so in the midst of this warfare, if Satan can come in and he can convince us of things that are wrong, we're in trouble. Let me tell you some things you can't count on. Feelings can't be your standard. The Bible says the heart is deceptive. Because so many of us are making our decisions by how we feel. There's some people who didn't wake up this morning because they lost an hour of sleep and they didn't come today simply because they didn't feel good. And my friends, whenever you start making decisions based on feelings, you're in trouble. In fact, let me ask you this question. If through your life to this point, you had done everything you felt like, what would your life be like today? Here's something I can guarantee you. You would not be here. You would be in jail. I mean, if you had done everything you probably felt like in your life, you'd probably be on death row. Because we all have these feelings at times. And now we got this world that says, be governed by those feelings. You're in a heap of trouble, my friends, when feelings are the standards. You're in a bunch of trouble when fads are your standard. Fads can't be your standard. Because things change so much. You ever get confused about what's healthy and what's not healthy? A few years ago, everybody was told, stop eating eggs. They'll mess your cholesterol up. Today, we've got the good news that you need to eat at least two eggs a day. A few years ago, coffee would destroy your health. Today, it's the cure-all of almost everything. My friends, I know if I wait long enough, in a few years, they're going to say that my Diet Cokes are going to add 10 years to my life. (laughs) All you've got to do is wait. Because in our day, truth is so faddish. It changes. I mean, to to just tell you how faddish truth is. I, I don't think we've been taken aback by this enough. In the last half dozen years, we have seen the definition of marriage itself changed. After at least 6,000 years of one standard definition in every culture across the world, it's changed. And what scares me is that many of you are not alarmed by it. Because, my friends, when you're not saturated with truth, you're open to whatever may pop open along the way. So what we've got to do is we've got to allow God to tell us truth. And here's what God has done for you and I. God knew that you couldn't count on your feelings or the fads or your culture. So he gave us this book we call the Bible. The old-fashioned word is what we used to call it, and it's a great word. It is actually the divine revelation of God's will. So that you don't have to wonder what's right and wrong in every situation. You don't have to be tossed about by the latest fad or even the latest feeling in your body. You've got a standard of truth that you live by. Now, let me tell you two things the belt of truth will bring in your life. Number one, God's truth will bring stability. That's the whole idea of this belt. It brought stability to the core. I see a lot of you in here that are really into exercise, and you, you lift weights, and you, you build up your chest and your shoulders, and you work on your legs. But one of the greatest mistakes is that so many people don't work on their core. And you can work on everything else, but if you don't work on your core, your body's unstable. Because it's the core that will influence every motion that you make. 
And so what Paul is saying here is you need a core of, of stability in your life that you don't have to wonder what you're going to get up and do tomorrow because you know the truth. So, guys, this is not just about moral issues. You know the truth about, you know, sex out of marriage or truth about you name it. Guys, this is just the truth about life. If you don't have the stability of the truth of God, you're not going to know how to handle suffering. You're certainly not going to be able to know how to handle death. But with the stability of God's truth, you can face it all. Now, here's the cool thing. is not only will this truth bring you stability, but it will bring you something you might not expect. It will bring you freedom. Did you hear that? It will bring you freedom. You see, Satan's lied to us. He's the father of lies. Satan lies to us and says, God's word and God's law will restrict you. If you become a Christian man, you're going to be put in this straitjacket, and you're not going to be able to do the things you feel like doing, and it's going to restrict your life. It's going to make you miserable. He sold that lie. Some of us just say, you know what? I know that's true, but I don't want to go to hell, and so I'll live this way. My friends, let me, let me tell you. God's laws don't restrict you. They give you freedom. Let me tell you what restricts you. Sin. You say, oh, no, that's what I... No, no, no. When you begin to give your life to a life of sin, what the Bible says, it's in slavery. It's, it's enslavement. It, 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 that's why we, we call so many things. We've got a sweet word for it today. We call it addictions. Because you can't just do a little of it before long to fill that void. You've got to do more and more and more. And so the truth is, this idea, if I could just do whatever I felt like would be awesome, is actually slavery. And the truth is, if I will follow God's truth, I'm actually given freedom. My life's not torn back and forth. I know who I am. I know where I'm going. I'm free to enjoy life to the fullest. Jesus put it this way, you shall know the truth. Oh man, and the truth shall set you free. So put on the belt of truth. And then we've got this breastplate of righteousness. This was so important because it protects the vital organs, especially the heart. Because combat in Paul's day was not, you know, lobbing a missile over a defense line. It was, it was more hand-to-hand. And if so somebody can get their dagger and they can get to you and they can get to your heart, it's all over. So we've got to have this breastplate on that protects us. Now, well, what is it? It's righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? That's an old-fashioned religious word that we don't always get. Let me give, give you a real simple definition of righteousness. Righteousness is putting truth into action. That's what it is. It's putting truth into action. I like the great teacher Priscilla Shire. She, she makes this analogy. Truth is the railroad track of your life. Righteousness is the train on the railroad track. And, and when the train on the railroad track aligns with the tracks, then, man, you can travel. You've got, you got good things going on. But when Satan can knock you off track, that's when you get in trouble. And, guys, many of us stay in trouble because we always keep our options open. Now, in some areas of life, maybe it's not dangerous, it might be annoying, I, I drive my wife crazy because when, let's say, a Friday night we decide we're going somewhere to eat, and let, let's say we decide to go to one of our favorite places, Tomatino's. Anybody like Tomatino's? Sorry to bring that up at this point, <laughs> okay? But we decide we're going to Tomatino's. Now, here's the way I view going. You know, we've made this decision, but between East Montgomery and Tomatino's, there's a lot of restaurants. 
And if I drive in front of one of them that sounds better to me at the moment, I'm prone to change my mind. And she's like, just decide. Let's just go. You said Tomatino's. Anybody ever do that to your spouse? You guys look so righteous today. I'm sorry. (laughs) Now, guys, some of us are that way with really big-time deals. Oh, we know what God's Word says. We know the standard. We know we ought to live a holy life. We know we shouldn't have sex outside of marriage. We know we shouldn't look at the porn. We know we should have been in Bible class this morning. We know all those things. But I keep the options open at every moment according to how I feel. That's dangerous. And that's what Satan does. And that's why we've got to have this righteous life that lines up with truth. Because righteousness fortifies us against Satan. Because I I no longer keep all the options open. I've closed some doors. Some of you, the reason you're not living a righteous life is not because you don't know what truth is. It's because you keep, you just do it. You keep too many doors open. There's some of us, we just will never slam the door. We'll never draw a firm line about issues. And it, it, it can kill you. Because when you're living righteous, it protects you. It protects you from what Satan's going to try to stab you with. I'm some of you young people over here. You know, if, if your reputation at school is that you're a righteous person, that you know what's right and wrong, and you're not going to do certain things, you know what's going to happen is some people aren't even going to come to you with their temptations. When they want to go out on Friday night and get drunk, they're not going to even approach you because your life protects you. When they want to, you know, go on a list of cuss words, they're not going to do it around you because they know you don't approve of that. If they want to have sex with you on the date, they're, they're, they're not going to date you because they, they know that you just don't live that way. It protects you. But when people know that sometimes you live this way and sometimes you live this way and you go to church on Sunday and you're a little bit different on Monday, Oh, my goodness, they're going to approach you. In that weak and vulnerable spot, they're going to approach you. And that's why our righteous life protects you. You say, okay, buddy, this is a tough one for me because I try and I try and I try to live a life that aligns with truth, and yet, yet I keep failing. I do too. In fact, the man who wrote the words we're studying today, he did too. Romans chapter 7, he said, man, when I try on my own, the things I want to do, I end up not doing the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And that's why you've got to see there's two sides of righteousness. There's the doing side that we've been talking about, and there's the being side. When Paul says in Romans chapter 7, you know, I keep doing the wrong things, he feels just like us. Don't, don't stop there. You've got to get to Romans chapter 8, because in Romans chapter 8, he says, you know what, what's going to change me is God changing me from the inside out? If you have your Bible, flip to Romans 8 with me. There's a great, great verse there about righteousness and about how we receive righteous. In Romans chapter 5, Paul has said, just as sin entered the world through Adam, righteousness has entered the world through Jesus. And, and, and the little Bible definition is that God has imputed, he has planted, he has given, he has credited his righteousness to us. Now, how does that happen? Romans 8, right in the middle of this battle. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. What's his point? 
The point is, if I give you a list of do's and don'ts to walk out of here with, that will not ensure that you live a righteous life. In fact, it'll probably, if that's all I give you, ensure you don't live a righteous life. So, so what could do that? And so he condemned sin in the flesh, that's in Jesus, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who, live, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Here's the good news of the Bible. You, if you're a child of God, are a righteous person. You see, when, when you come to a saving relationship with Jesus, your spiritual bank account is changed. First of all, there's some withdrawals. All of the guilt and sin and shame of your life is withdrawn from your account. It's gone to be forgotten. But there's not just a withdrawal. Many of us have seen that. There's also a deposit. There's also a credit that's given to you. What's the credit? This is so cool, guys. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You say, what does that mean, buddy? That means when God sees you in Jesus Christ, what he sees this morning is perfection. So, so God's way of changing you this morning to become righteous, to be fortified, is not for me just to keep listing the right and wrongs. God's way of changing you is for you to, first of all, see how God sees you. Understand that you are the righteousness of God. You see this sentence. You can live a righteous life because God has declared you a righteous person in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. And what God wants you to do is he wants you to live as who you are from the inside out. So the first thing that's got to change is your self-perception. You ever had a friend or a spouse or, you know, an older person that just saw you differently than you saw yourself? They just saw something in you you didn't see. In fact, you saw just the opposite. I've been thinking this week about this lesson, about how the key is I've got to figure out how Jesus sees me, and I've got to live. You see, that, that belief, if I really believe that I'm a righteous person, will change my behavior. If you think you're just some struggling sinner saved by grace, shoot, you're going to fall for everything. But if you believe that you are righteous in Christ, you know, I was thinking back, I've, I've been thinking about of statements. I think of one lady that made a statement to me. Her name was Mona Smelter, and she made a statement to me 35 years ago that changed my self-perception. Just a couple of sentences. And my friends, if, if a person could do that for you, hold on. <laughs> what would happen if you listened to God and believed who he says you are? So then you become a righteous person as you live out who you are. Well, let's go to one more piece of armament, and that is the shoes of peace. And, and the powerful thing about these shoes is they give you traction. Now, I've not given you a very good picture up there. The, the, the picture that really belongs is sort of a combination of a boot and a sandal. And on the bottom of it are these hobnails, like cleats, very strong cleats. And the idea here is that this shoe gives you the ability to stand and, 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 you know, not slide down in the midst of, you know, something bad going on in your life. And, and it also gives you the ability to move forward. You've got the traction to move and retake that land that Satan has taken in your life. So it's, a, it's an awesome picture. 
Now, I want you to see what has hit me this week is that as we talk about these three pieces of armament, there is a progression. If you're living understanding truth and your life is righteous, it's lining up with truth, then you're going to have this third piece of armament, which is peace. Truth aligned with a righteous life equals peace. You want to live in turmoil? You know truth. Subtract righteousness brings turmoil. Some of you guys, you're in absolute turmoil in your life because you know better than the way you're living. And when they don't line up, my friends, it doesn't bring peace. But when they do line up, you begin to have this amazing peace. Let me tell you just a few things really quickly what peace will do for you. God's peace is a guard. Philippians chapter 4 says, the peace of God will guard your heart. The literal words there are, the peace of God will line up around your heart like a sentry of soldiers to protect you. Think about this. I am least vulnerable to temptation when I'm at peace with God and at peace with myself. Now, I find peace to be a little bit difficult. But I'm least vulnerable to peace, to temptation when, those things, when I'm at peace. You and I are both most vulnerable to temptation when you don't have peace. When you have it, it guards you. It guides you. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The little me, the word there is let God's peace be the umpire in your life. You're trying to decide what you would do, not on things that are black and white and right and wrong. Then you make those decisions on the basis of the peace of God. If you're thinking about doing something and, uh, you know, you're in terrible inner conflict about it, I think that's a sign. That's a red light. Stop. If you are uneasy about it, at minimum, that's a, a yellow light that says, slow down about this decision. But when you prayed about it and you thought about it and you're making a decision and you finally are overwhelmed with peace, it's a green light. It'll guide you. And that brings me to the third point here is God's peace is a go. The idea of putting on these shoes is that now you've got something to share. There's a consistent picture in Scripture from Old Testament to New Testament of a runner bearing good news, running across mountains to preach it. And the Bible says over and over, blessed is the man whose feet bear the good news of God. And that's the picture of us. We got this peace, and we start sharing it, and you know what it does? It brings even more peace. Paul prays in one place, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you will understand every good thing in Christ Jesus. My friends, when you begin to spread this peace that you have, you'll be enjoy Christ more than you ever have. So here's our final question this morning. Are you dressed for success? I'll repeat, too many of us are dressed for a pool party when you're walking into a combat zone. No wonder we're losing ground in our country, in our cities, in our churches, in our families, in our own personal life. The truth is, 
And please take this right. Many of us are dressed for failure. You wonder why you're just not winning in this war. I mean, you think about it, you even pray about it and claim it, but, but you're not winning. But my friends, until you buy into truth, align your life with truth, and receive the peace of God, if you don't have that armament on, defeat is guaranteed. Now, I love the picture we talked about earlier, that all this armament is it's God's armor that he's handing over to us. That's, that's a beautiful picture. But don't mistake that to say you don't have a role in it. it what it says in the passage we're studying is that you make a choice to put it on. You've got to be active in putting it on. God's not going to force it on you. See, many of us, guys, we are losing in spiritual warfare not because we're bad people or we even choose overtly to do bad things. It's because we're just so passive. And we just keep all of our options open as to what sounds the most fun to us. And because of that, we never get to where we want to be. So I challenge you this morning, in a moment we're about to sing, be active. Put this on. Maybe today's the day that you make a choice that, you know what, the world has influenced you too much about truth. Because you've changed your belief about some core things. Listen to me. That's okay if your deeper study of the Bible changed that truth, okay? Because sometimes it does. But it's not okay when our culture has changed that truth. And some of us We've been too influenced by what we see in movies and TV that we don't take a strong stand about anything. And we need to align our life with truth and we need to start living it righteously out and not trying to push all the edges. And we need to find the peace that only comes when we're on those tracks living out the truth. And then here's the great guarantee. You'll be dressed for success. I I love that TV show, What Not to Wear. I like the end of it. Because after they've taken this person to New York City and they've got a new hairdresser, new wardrobe, new everything, they eventually take them back to the hometown and they gather all the people who love them the most and they do this great unveiling when everybody gets to see this person and they are dressed for success. And my friends, when you start taking the steps that you might take today, the people that are going to be the most beneficial from this, the people that are going to notice it the first, it's going to be your family, it's going to be the people that are close to you, it's going to be the people you work with. They're going to see something different. It's the people you go to school with. They're going to see something different in you. And guaranteed, guaranteed, you'll be dressed for success. If you need to make a move for God today, why don't you do it right now while we stand together and sing?